the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All right. Are you ready to get back where we left off? Pick up where we last left off here in the book of Romans. That will be Romans 16. Look forward to the truths here as Paul concludes the letter. Uh, very vital and crucial insights for us all. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we are gathered around you. You are our Lord and around your word. The God-breathed word sent from heaven to save us, to keep us on the straight and narrow path, and to be engaged in doing your work in an effective and productive way. Bless this word to our hearts. Change our lives. Set us free, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so as I've been saying, today we pick back up where we left off, and Lord willing, we will finish up the last chapter, chapter 16, and what we've been calling Paul's long goodbye, because he's been working on saying goodbye for at least a chapter and a half, but he's a preacher, and preachers tend uh, to do that, and what a wonderful journey it's been going through the book of Romans. I have a little outline for you to follow here as I just give you a little context. It began with eight wonderful chapters. Chapters uh, one through eight are called the Great Exposition. Exposition just means to explain or unpack something. And what he was unpacking, of course, was what he called the gospel of God, the good news of God, that... We could do nothing, that we were powerless, that we stood condemned, and that God, because of his great love for us, he came down, he intervened, he became one of us. He took our punishment, though he was sinless in every way. And then he made it so easy. He says, you guys can't be good enough. I'm not expecting you to be good. Sinners are bad. Sinners need help and rescue, so I'll rescue you. You put your trust in me, and I'll do for you what you could never, ever hope to do. And uh, that was the wonderful message of one through eight there, the gospel of God. That was God's plan for the world, and the world 
and the nations means Gentiles is the word that is used for nations. Okay, so we got to uh, the great parentheses, chapters 9 through 11, and it's in red because we haven't covered that yet. That popped up right around Christmas time, and it just seemed best to fast forward that section and get to a more Christmas uh, themed passage, which was chapters 12 through 15. But let me explain the great parentheses, the great, by the way, one through eight says, here's God's plan for the whole world, right? The whole, the Gentile world, the non-Jews, for God so loved the world, right? Well, okay, what about Israel, his people, the nation from which the Messiah springs and Christianity comes? What about them? You made some promises to them. Are you done with Israel? And he says, thank you. Uh, thank you. I, 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 I got this right now. But, you know. <laughs> look, when I have a lapse, I will look over in that direction. So he, uh, yeah, so God, Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, uh, is God finished with the Jews? Is he done with Israel? And the answer is no, that all of Israel will become a Christian nation and it will happen through the end times, something we call Armageddon. And so uh, then we move on to the great exhortation and exhortation means a prodding or goading or to encourage you to live a certain way. And uh, chapters uh, 12 through 15, very practical. Now, in light of all the mercy you've received and what God has done on your behalf, here's how you cooperate with the new life God has put in you. You're not, this is not a gospel about being good people. This is a gospel about how wretched sinners get born again and then cooperate with the grace of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit to let him produce goodness through us. And he said, if you, you want to know what genuine Christian behavior looks like, chapters 12 through 15. And we finished that up. So right around... Uh, chapter 15, verse 14, he starts to close and what is called the great conclusion. And so he's been doing this for a while. And in fact, he's been concluding for two sermons, two sermons I have talked about. Because in his conclusion, before he kind of signs off, he had to do a few things. He said, number one, I need to affirm you guys because I said some pretty strong things to you. And that doesn't mean I think you're a bunch of losers. I think you have it together. But I had to remind you of some really important things. And sorry if it came off a little bit strong. So that's a nice way to start the uh, end of the letter. And then he said, and, and here's some of my travel plans. And who would have ever thought that one of the most moving messages of all came uh, discussing his travel plans? He said, I plan on coming to see you in Rome. Uh, I know it will be in the fullness of God's blessing. And of course it was, and that made for a insightful message. And so ready... He is now at chapter 16 with 27 verses to go to land this plane. And he's got five things left to do. Number one, he has to commend the person who's carrying the letter. So he's going to give her a letter of recommendation. The second thing he's going to do, note takers, is greet his many friends in Rome. He's got 26 Friends, he's going to give a shout out to 24 he names, two of them 
he does not name. And then thirdly, in verses 17 through 20, he just can't help himself. He is going to start preaching again out of nowhere. You just ask, seriously, he says, and, and the grace of God be with you all. And then he starts a sermon. And uh, this happens among pastors. All right. And, and so, I mean, come on. Uh, Paul told the Philippians in chapter 3, finally. And then in chapter 4, he said, finally again. And so that was what we call the second closing. Right? And sometimes there are third closings as well. And I think I'll avoid that one today. All right. And so he, he's not done with a, a warning. He gives them a warning, a last shout out, warning about false teaching. And then he goes on with some remarks that we won't exposit. Uh, just some, some, some hellos from some of the friends who were with him at the time of the writing, and then a beautiful benediction, which we'll recite together. So our three main points are going to be note-takers, uh, the commendation, the greeting, and the warning. All right? Are you ready to dive in? Chapter 16. Hello? Now, Marianne, where were you? Are you ready? I'm asking you a question. Are you ready to dive into chapter 16? Thank you. Now, yes, thank you very much. Let's do this. We'll take one section at a time. First, the commendation. And it's a glowing one, isn't it? He says, I commend to you Romans, Calvary Chapel at Rome, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancrea, seven miles uh, near to Corinth where he's riding. It's a seaport. I ask you to receive her. She's coming to Rome. And guess what? She's going to have the letter of Romans in her hand. I ask you to receive Phoebe in the Lord in a way worthy of the separated ones, the saints, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. So let's start with a glowing recommendation here. Uh, Phoebe. It means uh, bright or radiant, and it is kind of has a pagan association. And Jews and Christians in the first century, oftentimes after uh, their conversion, they, they chose to keep their pagan names. Uh, just like we don't change Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, even though they're named for the, the Roman gods. Uh, we still, as Christians, refer to them by their pagan names. And so I can see Phoebe just says, you know, now I'm going to be radiant not for Apollo, but for Jesus. Very good. And so uh, the first thing we see is she's our sister. We're going to learn some things about this remarkable woman who is entrusted to carry the one and only copy of the most important document ever written, ever. So let's learn a little bit. She, he says, she's our sister. She's coming to you. She's part of the family of God. She wasn't born the regular way just only. She wasn't born just because her mom and dad got together. Oh, no, 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 something very supernatural happened that made her a sister to and brothers and family to the living God. She was born from above, 
because she believed the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, you become part of the family of God supernaturally. So it's not a question about being good. It's about becoming a part of God's family through faith. And the Holy Spirit makes you born from above. She's our sister. She's got the same father. She's reconciled to the same God. She's rescued from the same hell. She's redeemed by the same blood. She's purchased by the same suffering of Christ. She's filled with the same Holy Spirit. She's destined to the same eternal glory as all of us in the family of God. She's the target of the same devil. She's our sister in Christ. And so no wonder God expects the love between brothers and sisters in him, the family of God, to just get the world's attention. Jesus said in John 13, he said, they will know you belong to God by how you love one another. Phoebe, our sister, is coming to you. She's a servant, and the word there, she's from Sancria, I told you, seven miles up the road. The word there, diakonos, is the word for deacon. And so some translations have deaconess there. I agree that that's an accurate word for who she is. The RSV has deaconess there. The word diakonos can be described, can describe all of us as servants of the Lord. And that's what it means. To minister, to serve, is to be a diakonos, but it's also to hold an office in the church. There are two official positions that the Bible speaks of when it talks about uh, managing the affairs of the church. And of course, the first one that we call pastor uh, really has, uh, there are three terms a pastor, elder, and overseer, they're used interchangeably. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, you will see all three words used to describe the same person. And really what it does is tell you the job of the pastor. The pastor, the poiamen word pastor, shepherd, means to feed, to feed the word of God. To oversee, the overseer is somebody who watches over the souls and the spiritual affairs of people. And the elder is a mark of Christian character and maturity. And so, pastor and the other office would be deacon. And the deacons come about there in Acts chapter 6, as most of you know, uh, when the pastors were <laughs> running out of time to do their job. Their number one job is to feed the, the sheep, as it were, the word of God. If you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. It's the number one job. In fact, the word pastor, as I said, means feeder. That's what we do. But we can't be doing that if we're running around doing everything else. And so in Acts chapter 6, they recognize that. The Holy Spirit said, hey, set some godly men aside who have the fullness of the Holy Spirit to help administer the practical aspects of ministry. And those were men like Stephen and Philip. And boy, don't tell me that they just did practical things because they preached some pretty good sermons and held some pretty good revivals. So, but by and large, the deacon or deaconess 
Now, it seems to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the Bible describes deaconesses as well. There's a little bit of an argument on that. When he talks about wives, it seems like he's talking about husbands and wives who serve together as deacons, and he qualifies the wives. Therefore, we believe that this is speaking of an actual office there at Calvary Chapel St. Crea. Phoebe was an official deaconess. And she was out helping. I mean, that's what she did. She'd been a help to many. The word deacon comes from a word that means to kick up dust because they're always running around, always doing something for somebody, right? And so it says, uh, receive her. So these men and women who are called deacons, uh, they are, whether it's officially dubbed so or not, I'll tell you what, the ushers, They're deacons. The hospitality crew, they're doing the job of a deacon. I'll tell you what. You want to know who is a deaconess in this church? Diana Azell. Oh, my word. She's a Phoebe. All right. And there are probably 50 Phoebes at this church. And I'll say this about Phoebes. Where would the church of God be without the Phoebes? without the nonstop efforts of other-centered people. How do, you, how do you know she's other-centered? Well, she was a great help to many, right? And, and, and somebody who is filled with themselves and always thinking about me, myself, and I, they don't have room to be a help to anybody else except their own interests. This is a real gem of a woman, a Christ-centered woman who just wants to help. She's been the help of many, and he says, including me, I've benefited from her help. Now, the word in Greek for help there is is a different kind of word. It means to, to protect, to nurture, to stand up for somebody when somebody's being critical, when somebody's dividing somebody. This is the kind of help she was. She was uh, always encouraging, affirming, building up, um, bearing burdens. And she wasn't part of the problem. She went about life. Why? Because why? And by the way, it, it does not matter how nice you are in life. It doesn't matter how many people you help. Oh, he would have given you the shirt off his back means nothing If at first you're not reconciled to God and had your sins washed away by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, because if you were the nicest guy on earth and you end up losing your own soul, what good did it matter? What does it matter how nice a person is or how generous or how helpful? The Bible never preaches, be good. It's be saved and from being saved and in right relationship with God, the goodness and the wanting to be a help to others. So she's running around not to earn her way to heaven. Oh, I'm going to be helpful, helpful, helpful in her own efforts and willpower to be a good person. No, that's not the gospel. Her heart was touched. Her life was transformed. She felt that she's no longer going to perish. She's going to have eternal life, and she's going to thank Jesus for hanging on that cross by saying, every person I see, I'm going to leave in a better condition than when I found them. I'm going to be motivated 
by that kind of love. And so she was one of these selfless, other-centered gems. And that's why God could entrust to her the only copy of Romans at that time in her little satchel. Why? Because she was given over to the work of God. All she wanted to do was help, help, help. And so God says, you know what? I got a way to honor you in the word of God and forever as the courier with the only letter, the letter of Romans. That's pretty cool. So time to greet some folks after commending Phoebe holding the word of God in her helping little hands. Let's go through the list. Now, if you are expecting a baby, this is the time to pay attention to all your possible baby names. <laughs> okay, we're going to try to do it in one shot here. All right, let's do this. Uh, greet Priscilla and Quilla, and in the list of 26, these are the only ones we know. Everybody else is, uh, we just meet them here. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. I think I'm going to read here. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. But not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. They're always doing that, those two. Greet my dear friend, Apennitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia, that's modern-day Turkey. Verse 6, greet Mary, the only Jewish name in the list. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junius. My relatives can either mean fellow Jews or they're actually his cousins of sorts who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. That word is kind of lowercase missionary workers. And they were in Christ before I was. Verse 8, Grant, uh, greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Verse 10, greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Verse 11, greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who was a mom to me too. Verse 14, greet Ansyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, that means lover of words. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ send greetings. Now you think he's done, right? Oh. <laughs> Oh, no, he's not done. He's going to preach. He's getting ready to preach. This is his introduction of sorts. 
So we go from a glowing commendation now to an elaborate list of greetings that now is before you. As I mentioned, 26 names. General insights. Number one, for me, ministry, the Apostle Paul style, is not just about making converts, preaching good sermons, casting a vision. I've got a doctorate in ministry. I still don't know what casting a vision means. It's not about growing the church, grow, grow, church growth seminars. It's not about saving somebody's soul alone. So that's something we do to people. We don't just make converts, we make friends. We share the gospel, we share our lives. Like Jesus, Jesus was called, Jesus was the one always preaching repentance, but in the structure of becoming friends with people. He was accused by his enemies of being friends with the very ones he was bringing the gospel to, the down and out people. Friends of tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He never compromised. He never linked arms with them, but he had a warm demeanor. He had an acceptance about him. Not that judgmental, I'm better than you spirit about it, and he wouldn't be very popular if he did that. So the apostle Paul has all of these friends. I had a pastor friend once who said, I'm just not a people person. And you could totally tell that, but you you could. He was a good speaker and he was a great teacher. But now I look after knowing him for 35 years and I see the fruit of not being friendly. People do not care how much you know or how good of a sermon it is if they feel like you're just some sort of number to them. People have to feel like you care about them, that you love them, that you want to do life with them, that you want to show up at the hospital when somebody's sick, or you want to help them move. You want to help, uh, you want to go to the kid's graduation. You want to be involved. You want to hold their babies because you really want to in your heart. Amen? Marianne, come on. Just an amen. <laughs> Very good. A little late, but uh, we'll accept it. All right. Yeah, the Bible says, you know, unfriendly people, they're foolish. Proverbs 18.1 says, an unfriendly person defies sound logic. Why? Because God designed us to need each other. We need friends. A friend in need is a friend indeed, meaning when you're in need, a friend is a friend indeed, for sure. And, and so Paul wasn't one of those fair-weathered friends. You know, he was a friend through thick and thin. And so we just see that that's how God made us. He, he said, you know what? You wanted to talk about church building? You guys are a bunch of church-building stones that are alive, and you're knit together. You're supposed to do life together. You're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to be friends so here we go here with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, now, Aquila and Priscilla are usually mentioned, Priscilla and Aquila, and commentators say four out of six times they're mentioned, she's mentioned first because she is the dominant gifts. 
And that happens. And she was sort of out in front. The husband was quiet and loving the Lord, and they were serving together. And Priscilla and Aquila, they're mentioned about four times in the, in the Bible. They come together. They get kicked out of war, uh, Rome. Um, in, Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, Claudius, the emperor, sick of the Jews fighting over who Jesus is, and kicks everybody, kicks all the Jews out of Rome. And so Aquila, who is called a Jew, and Priscilla, his wife, are kicked out and end up in Corinth. And they're tent makers by trade, and so is Paul. And so they meet together in Corinth, and they have a lifelong friendship. And after a year and a half together, making tents and starting the church of Corinth, Paul says, let's go to Ephesus. And Paul goes to Ephesus and brings Aquila and Priscilla. And every time you hear them mentioned, there's a church in their house. They are lifelong friends. And he says, they risked their lives for me probably in Ephesus when all hell breaks loose. In, in, in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, you see them wanting to tear Paul from limb from limb. And that's probably where Aquila and Priscilla got involved and rescued him. The last words of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4 moved me. It says, great Priscilla and Aquila. It's his very last words. There's a couple words that follow, but of course, lifelong friends. There is nothing that will knit your heart together than to a shared love for Christ and the gospel and working together in the trenches. It's hard work to do the work of the Lord. And people who work together, yoke together in that partnership, they are, and the only ones who can ever say BFFs, only Christians can say best friends forever. And that's exactly <laughs> what we are going to be. You know the guy who says, oh, I'll go to hell and I'm gonna have a lot of my friends there. Oh, no, you may end up in hell, but there's no community. It's isolation time. And so that's what the, 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 the story of these guys, they risk their lives for me. He loves those guys, and uh, and uh, they love him. Now let's run through the list, man. Okay, verse five, a penitus. Okay, he's the first uh, missionary journey when Paul goes with um, uh, John, Mark, and Barnabas, and they touch down in. Uh, Modern-day Turkey is called Asia there. And so Paul's like given his first altar call, his first missionary journey. He's in the whole of Asia, all of Turkey, where there'll be seven churches or more, probably 20. But the seven churches in Revelation, they're all in Asia. They're all in Turkey, right? Ephesus, Thyatira, Laodicea, all of those churches, right? And so there had to be one guy who is the first guy and he says, I, I, he has a fond memory of a penitent. He says, that was the guy, I'll never forget it. I'm preaching the gospel. And he stands up and looks up and raises his hands. That's him in a warm body. I, I remember the first guy I led to the Lord. I was 19 years old. I was barely saved myself. But I was all excited. I couldn't, I want to tell somebody. And I'm in 7-Eleven in Scotts Valley. And, and I, I was just staring at the, the cashier clerk. And I'm wondering, heaven or hell? 
Is he going to go to heaven or hell? And, and so I started writing on the receipt tape. I had a pen, and I wrote John 3.16 on it. And he goes, what's that? And I said, John 3.16, I'll have one for you tomorrow. And so I came in the next day, and I had another one, 1 John 1.9. Right? And he says, what, what are you doing? And I said, these are verses from the Bible. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll go look them up. And I said, do you have a Bible? He goes, no. So I said, I'll bring you a Bible tomorrow. So I brought him a Bible and wrote another one, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And so he's all excited about it, and he keeps the receipts, right? And he goes looking for them. He becomes a Christian. And then one day he tells me, you know what? I accepted the Lord. And I'm like, What? How, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, just, I'll never forget that. And every time I drive by the 7-Eleven in Scotts Valley, I just think of 40 years of ministry, some dumb idea, I'm going to write John 316 on the receipt in a 7-Eleven, and the guy, I'm going to see him in heaven and spend forever with him. And it's the first dude. He's the first dude that I impacted with the gospel who God impacted through using my dumb ideas. Mary, the only Jewish name, they, they're probably, most of them are probably Jews. How else would Paul know these people? They travel all around. He's never been to Rome. That's the deal. Mary's always breaking a sweat for you. Shout out to her. Reputations precede you, you know? You're always working hard. People know it. Uh, then in verse uh, 7, Andronicus and Junius, he says, my fellow Jews, they share the same fate. Fellow jailbirds, hey, what's up, right? And verse 7, and he says, hey, we did some time in the slammer together, you know? <laughs> well, you hang close. You hang near the, 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 the apostle Paul. It's dangerous, <laughs> right? Birds of a feather get jailed together. <laughs> Marianne, I needed a laugh there. <laughs> verse 8, Ampliatus. Love that guy. Verse 9. Shout out to fellow workers and friends, Urbanus and Stakies. Verse 10, say hey to Apelles, tried and true. What does he mean by that? Shout out on the spotlight on this guy. Everybody knew he had gone through a horrendous thing. And he still loved Jesus. He wasn't bitter. He didn't need to take a break. He didn't need to turn back because he's so disappointed that God would let this terrible thing happen. No, he's tried and true. He got tested through some hot fire. And he says, I just want to give a shout out to my friend Apelles because he went through it. And look at him, serving the Lord with a sweet heart. No questioning God. And taking three years to go sow your wild oats because life went right when you wanted it to go left and God didn't answer your prayers the way you wanted him to. Yeah, I know. I know it hurts and I know you can get disappointed in this life. But it's no reason to, to, to get mad at God. Why would you turn on the only one who could really help you in your time of need, appellees? We need more appellees in the church. So he puts them on blast for that. And he says, by the way, there in verse 10, tell the whole Aristobulus family hello from me. Verse 11, what's up, my fellow Jew Herodian? 
Greet all the believers in Narcissus family. Verse 12, greet the twin sisters. That's what their names mean, Tryphena and Tryphosa. A lot of the commentators say twin sisters, obviously, but their names mean dainty and delicate. Now, here's his, word, his play on words with them. He says, greet Miss Dainty and Miss Delicate who serve like animals. Miss Dainty, Miss De- Delicate, who are plowing like oxen through that church. And he says, don't forget about Persis, another dear sister who works so hard for the gospel. Verse 13, and then there's Rufus. Now he says, he's, the, he's chosen of the Lord. Well, Paul's already told us all, if you're in Christ, you're chosen of the Lord too. So what does he mean? Commentators say he's saying, what a choice Christian a stand-up kind of guy. If you wanted to deny, if you wanted to define what a Christian is, grab this guy Rufus. Look at his life. Follow him around for a week. That's a Christian. That's what he's saying there. Now, interesting to me that commentators always say Mark 15 was written by John Mark from Rome. And why does he mention in Mark 15, he says, they compelled a certain man, Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear Jesus' cross. So Simon of Cyrene, who we all know and love, had two boys who lived in Rome. One was named Alexander, and one was named Rufus. Was this the kind of stand-up guy? His dad helped carry Jesus' cross. That's amazing to me. Most commentators say it is that we know Simon's son named Rufus at Rome serving the Lord as a choice servant. Why? Inspired by his dad. And I just thought, how, how cool is that to say, my dad helped carry Jesus' cross. And in a larger sense, anybody who's had a father who has carried the cross, meaning loved the Lord and picked up their cross, could say of my own father at 55 years old, my Jewish dad from Brooklyn, Never had a kind word to say about anybody, really. Became a Christian and picked up the cross. He came home after reading the Bible uh, at the library (laughs) and came home for dinner. I was 18 years old, and my dad read Revelation 21 about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And even though I thought he was crazy, When he read the word of God to me, my heart was on fire. And that was the beginning of the end of the old life and the beginning of the new life for me. Because my dad carried Jesus' cross. Be a dad like that so that your kids can be stand-up kids 
choice servants of the Lord. Verse 13, Paul continues, he says, oh, I can't think of Rufus without remembering his mom, who was like a mom to me too. And she was always in the church mothering everybody. And who hasn't benefited from these Rufus moms around us? I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Paul lost a lot when he came to Christ and she sensed he was lonely. And people do that. Christians actually are thinking outside of their own needs and what somebody else might need. And she thought, this is a lonely guy. I'm going to be his mom. I'm going to bake him his favorite stuff. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to give him the hugs that his mama would have given him. You know how many people in this church right now are hurting because they don't have that in their biological mom? Their biological mom might think they're even crazy and disparage them for doing the honorable work of serving God. And they miss that. And they live with that ache for maternal love. And here you are. You're a mom. And you're a dad. Jesus said, those who lose dads and moms for my sake or brothers and sisters, they're going to get a hundred times that. And this is exactly what Rufus' mom was doing. She's one of the 100 times that. There are a lot of us who need that. Pastor Adams shared, oh, about over 10 years ago about his uh, uh, troubled relationship with his dad. And after he preached, one of the guys stood up and said, Pastor Adam, I'm a dad and I love you. And then another guy stood up and said, Pastor Adam, I'm a dad, and you're like a son to me. I love you. I'm proud of you. And another guy stood up and said, Pastor Adam, I'm a dad. Consider me your dad. I love you. I'm proud of you. That was a powerful service. That was a powerful service. There are hurting people here. Are you Rufus's mom? Are you Rufus's dad? Come on. Find somebody. Verse 14, greet the five guys and the brothers that hang out with them. <laughs> verse 15, that reminds me of five other people too. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, verse 16, keep on loving. The holy kiss thing is that Middle Eastern air kiss. Depending on which country you go one, two, maybe you'll go one, two, three, or you'll go one, two, three, four, depending on how much you owe the guy. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, but they still do that to this day, men with men and women with women. They're very modest over there, and so that's what they're talking about. It was the kiss of peace. Here's what it said. Everything's cool between us. Everything is cool between us. And so he says, keep everything cool between you guys, warm and gracious and all of that. Now, maybe some people would look at the list and say, you know, um, I didn't make that list. Well, there's another list. There's another list, and God has a book. Now, in Malachi chapter 3, the Lord is listening to his people, and some are defecting, and some are falling away, and some are remaining true to him. And he says, write down those who are faithful to me. Keep a record of this, because... In that day, I'm going to reward them. And it was called the book of remembrance. And the psalmist writes about it. 
in, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 56 and verse 18. And uh, one writer said this about the book of remembrance. The psalmist wrote, you number my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not kept in your book? And there it is again. And here's what a commentator said of that book. In that book, every deed of righteousness is immortalized. There, every temptation resisted, every evil overcome, every word of tender pity expressed, every sin died to, every faith is faithfully chronicled. And every act of sacrifice, every suffering, sorrow, that took place because you endured it for Christ's sake is recorded and waits for the day that of Christ's promised reward. The guys came to Jesus after their missions trip and they said, you wouldn't believe what happened. Even the devils are afraid of us. And he says, oh, don't be impressed that the devils are subject to you, but be overjoyed that your name's written in heaven. There's another list. Maybe they didn't make this list. But there's a more important list that you want to be in. When the role is called up yonder, man, you're going to want to be there. And the deal about the book of remembrance is this. Today's counting. This morning counted. Every moment you have life, you are given an opportunity to enter something in that book. And in Revelation chapter 20, it says the book of life is open, right? There, our names are listed in there, but anybody's name is not written in that book. Wow, that's a sad, sad destiny. So the last uh, point here is he revs up to start preaching again, and here comes the sermon, and with this will be done. So it's gotta be kind of fast. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. The gospel, once and for all, entrusted to the saints. Keep away from them. Verse 18. For such people, they're not not serving the Lord. They're serving themselves. By smooth talk and flattery, oh, they've got all the right words, and they sound so sweet and wonderful. They deceive the minds of naive people. But everyone's heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Wow, what what a paradox. The God of peace is gonna crush Satan the serpent's head under the feet of those who are born again or walking with God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Sounds like he's done, right? He's not. He's not yet. But we're, we're just going to read and recite what's, what follows this. Let me just sum this up for, uh, I don't have very much time, but a dire warning here. The sad reality of the final goodbye really kind of bubbles up an urgent thing in his heart. It's like, oh, I'm really going to, I'm going to really sign off here. Whoa, don't, don't forget, this is an emergency thing. Before I sign off for reals, people are going to come in with false doctrine, satanically inspired to, to change the truth of God and pervert it into something that's not. And here's what Paul tells Timothy. 
Watch your doctrine, your teaching closely. Watch your life as well. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Satan knows that the truth is what saves us. The truth is what keeps us productive and effective for God. So by twisting and distorting the truth, then you have ineffective and unproductive Christians at best. And at worst, you have people who don't go to heaven at all because the gospel has been changed into something it's not. And so, you know, I can understand in this day and age how men have done the same exact things. They're not, uh, not everybody's exchanging a kiss of peace, but rather they're causing division and introducing strange ideas contrary to orthodox Christianity. Uh, all sorts of heresies first century about who Christ was, what he did on the cross, um, uh, making the gospel something he had to work for, which is opposite to the gospel, turning grace into a license of sin. Hey, you know, we're saved by grace, let's sin. That was a teaching. And then teaching that God was a way to get rich. And First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5 said, guys who say that are, have depraved minds. Same thing happens today, the perversion of the gospel. American gospel, let me show you a link that you need to find. Watch this. You and your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, it's the best two-hour documentary on what the gospel, how the gospel has uh, deteriorated into nonsense by not getting down on anybody but listening to them. So there's clips of everybody. And so when you leave, you know what the gospel is and you see how it's been perverted. And so let me just wrap this up while you have this up here looking at you so you can make sure you, you find it. Uh, what's preached in America now? It's called the gospel of moralism. Be good, be good, be good. Nothing further from the truth to, to more frustrate and damn somebody. You can't be good. Jesus told the guy, he said, hey, good teacher. Jesus stops him right there. And what do you call me good for? Do you understand that I'm God? Because there's no one is good except God. So why would a preacher get up and say, be good, be good, be good? That will get you straight to hell. You can't be good enough. God was good for us. Put your faith and trust in him. And the only goodness that counts is the response of the Holy Spirit as we yield to him. The second thing uh, American gospel is about the me-centered gospel. We call it the word of faith or prosperity. God exists. He's like our waiter. God, you know, I need more money. I need to, uh, you know, I need what I need to be uh, cured of all my diseases. God does heal. But uh, they see sickness as something that isn't included in the Christian life. And then they say that we can speak things into existence. So don't say that because you'll attract things. All of that is satanic. You don't have any power with your words. God has the power. We speak things into existence as little gods. That's what they teach. Another thing, the signs and wonders crowd. Oh, forget about salvation. Forget about eternal life. Forget about repentance of sins. It's all about healing some guys, uh, making some guy's leg grow longer than the other one or put it back to, to, to normal. This whole Bethel thing. It's toxic. It's poisonous. I had a guy in my office say, look at my hand. It's got gold dust on it. And I'm like, 
dude, I don't see it. He says, you call me a liar. I'm saying, I just don't see the gold dust. He says, I go up to people and God gives me a word on a street corner and you should see what happens. I just says, hey, hey, I've got a vision of bad kidneys. All right, can I pray for your kidneys? And I pray for their kidneys and, 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 and walk away. I say, dude, you got the cart before the horse. You go up to people. If you're gonna go up to people and you say, you're a sinner, you're gonna go to hell. Let me tell you some good news. You need to repent and receive Christ so that you'll be saved. This is the gospel that God did everything and gives you everything for nothing. And then if the guy's sick and he's got some problems with his kidneys and he tells you, I've got some kidney problems, why not lay hands on him and watch the power of God heal his kidneys or not? But the important thing isn't the signs and wonders. Jesus said those who chase after signs and wonders are a crooked and perverse generation. This is what we have today. The gospel of cool, the gospel of fun, the gospel of skits, and the pastor comes in on a zip line, and there's more, and, and, and you, watch, you watch clips from movies, and they open up Christian books, and they read a little bit, or they have a rock band, or they have fog machines, or they have special celebrities who come in and tell you how to be good and nice and get rich. What has happened What has happened? I'll tell you what has happened. The devil came in and tweaked it all and and people accumulated to themselves, heaped up speakers to, to say what they want, their itching ears to hear. Now you can go back to the text and he says, this is what you do. And today, the gospel of no offense. Oh, just you don't need to repent. Your lifestyle's okay, even though God says those who live this way will not inherit eternal life. But you say, no, it's okay. You will go to heaven if you live that lifestyle. You are coming against God, and that causes division. That's what happens. That's what he's saying. People who come in and cause division. No, back to the text, please. To watch out for those who cause division, put obstacles. Did God really say there's a hell? Yeah, he did. Did God really say you have to repent, that you can't live in that kind of lifestyle even though it came natural to you and you were born that way? You have to have a second birth, sir. And the behavior has to be in keeping with what the second birth in heaven and the morality of Christ is all about. Smooth talk, flattery, they deceive naive people. Then he closes by saying, you know what? I'm overjoyed to say you guys are smarter than that. You're rooted, you're anchored. I'm glad to know that. I want you to be really knowledgeable about God and I want you to be really naive about theological perversions. You don't need to know all of that stuff. And here's what he says. Here's your strategy. Keep away from them. So instead of engage, engage once on Facebook and then stay away from those who cause division and say, hey, can I dialogue with you? No, they don't. It, you, oh, one more thing. <laughs> it used to be when you became an apostate, which means you've fallen away from the gospel, it used to be that you went off and you did your own thing and you left, Right? You didn't come back in and try to win people to your godless and new amended gospel way. 
Oh, my word. Now they're proud of it. And now you're the bad guy because you're clinging to the old school way of believing in the truth. They're on a mission to enlighten you and free you up from this archaic, hateful, narrow-minded gospel. Jesus Christ said, narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it and broad and wide is the way of destruction. And many people go that way. So let's stand and read the closing words, the benediction at the end of the letter. One more, please. The benediction. All right, so let's read this together. This is how he ends the letter. Do you see that amen? It's the last one. All right, reading together. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the truth that sets our hearts free. As unpopular and as vulnerable as it makes everyone in this room, we just pray that we identify with the offense of Christ, that we might be rewarded later. <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.